Hey everybody, this is Omar Salafu from Let's Find Out. Let's Find Out is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. Just a heads up, this month's podcast is a recording of a very tasty live event we hosted at the Mercury Room in Edmonton. So I go in there, and they say, he say, what do you sell? And I say, green onion cake. And what other things you selling? I know, just green onion cake. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Chris Changin Phillips, and this is Let's Find Out. A monthly podcast about the history of Edmonton, Alberta, or Amiskwichi with Skygan on Treaty 6 territory. Each episode, we take questions from curious Edmontonians about local history, and then we find out the answers together. This episode, about green onion cakes. Edmonton expat Daniel Emberg, well, we've chatted, and we've been curious to know why green onion cakes, these delicious little fried pancakes or donuts, have taken hold in Edmonton, and why they took hold when they did. So Dan has flown all the way in from Winnipeg to join us for a live panel to find out the answer. Yeah, round of applause for that. What I want to know is why Winnipeg automatically evokes laughter from everybody. <laughs> no, I get it, I get it. And we are recording at the Mercury Room in front of a live audience. So for all of you in the audience, you are being recorded. You'll be on the podcast. Thanks for being part of it. Um, everybody say hi to the listeners at home. <laughs> and also, thank you for coming out uh, today because this is my last big event as Edmonton's Historian Laureate. I wanted to have something that would be uh, fun and a little celebratory. And also, just uh, the more that I've dug into this question, the more excited I've been to learn about this whole grain of history in Edmonton. So um, thanks to everybody for coming. We hope you're enjoying your green onion cake and or tongyobing, if uh, you speak a little Chinese. So Dan. To start off, tell me what got you curious about green onion cakes? Well, as so many people in this room can probably say, my first experience with green onion cakes came at the Fringe Festival here in Edmonton. And you know, I'd never been to the Fringe. I had this older, cool cousin. He said, yeah, yeah, come on down. And he said, here's what you do is you go get a green onion cake. <laughs> and I recently actually am doing a little digging for preparation for this podcast, got put in touch with the founder of the Fringe uh, Brian Paisley, and he couldn't be here today. He lives in Mexico now, but he agreed. Yes, like the the history of the fringe and the history of the green onion cake are pretty explicitly intertwined. He said they weren't there the first year, but from the second year on, they to say they were the most popular between show snack food would be a wild understatement, <laughs> according to him. And so that was my introduction. And then when I I've lived in a couple other cities in Canada, Ottawa, Winnipeg. And in both those places, I found that this beloved little treat of ours is generally not very well known or virtually unfindable. So I started doing some digging on my own, figured out how to make them, found this archived page from the old Edmonton Examiner website that had a profile of one of our panelists today along with the recipe and instructions on how to do it. Quickly learned, easy to make, 
but it takes some care to make well and get the right texture and everything. And so, yeah, they've become one of those things that I make for people, myself included. And we spoke about them last summer, Chris, and yeah, it's been a bit of a mystery to me why something that is so well-loved in my hometown is pretty much an anomaly anywhere else I've lived. All right, well, let's get into it. Uh, please uh, welcome Marty Chan to the stage. Uh, so Marty, our first panelist, um, is here because we wanted to hear from somebody who's loved green onion cakes since their early days in Edmonton and somebody who could help us think about what green onion cakes mean. Uh, Marty is a local playwright and author. You've probably read or seen some of his work, and uh, we're so glad you could be here. Thanks, Marty. Well, thank you, Chris. So what was your connection to Chinese cuisine when you were growing up? Uh, my connection to Chinese cuisine? Mm. Uh, well, my mom uh, mm -hmm. made a lot of Chinese food at home, and uh, we're uh, from the southern region of China, so it was a lot of Cantonese cuisine. Uh, and uh, uh, we would go out uh, to a restaurant, uh, usually on a Sunday, because I grew up in a small town just north of here called Morinville. And uh, uh, every Sunday we'd come to the city for uh, groceries and dim sum. And, and uh, if you know where Canada Place is now, uh, that's where the Chinatown of my childhood was. There was a dim sum restaurant on the second floor of a building. Underneath it was a Chinese grocery store. And we'd have people lined up the stairs waiting to get their dim sum. And I was always an impatient kid who just wanted to get to my shrimp dumplings before anybody else. Uh, so uh, that was sort of my experience with Chinese cuisine. And then, of course, my dad uh, <laughs> being... Uh, I'm trying to think of a diplomatic way of putting it. Uh, cheap. Uh, uh, he would zero in on an evening Chinese restaurant that was affordable. And that was, that was his criteria. It's got to be cheap. Uh, and uh, there had to be a lot of food. And uh, so uh, right now, uh, it doesn't matter if it's Christmas, if it's New Year's, if it's a birthday. We always go to the same Chinese restaurant. Uh, it's uh, Sai Wu uh, just on 97th Street. You guys know Sai Wu, excellent. <laughs> and we get the same thing every time. We've even tried to convince my dad, you know, why don't we just go, you know, to like a buffet or something? He's like, nope, Sai Wu, it's cheap. <laughs> they know me. <laughs> so what era are we talking about when that old Chinatown before Canada Place was there? Uh, this would have been probably in the 70s. Uh, uh, and uh, uh, it was tiny, tiny, right? Because now Chinatown's sort of migrated north. Um, uh, but the Chinatown that I remembered uh, was just where Canada Place is, and, and uh, the Shaw Conference Center was uh, not built yet. Uh, and it was, it was, it was, it was it, I mean, it was a little difficult growing up in a small town and just trying to get sort of a daily exposure to like Chinese cuisine other than what my mom made. And of course, as a kid, uh, I was the firstborn son, you know, if you live in a French-Canadian town and, and you're showing up with rice and kids are saying, ooh, you're eating maggots or things like that, you start to feel a bit self-conscious about what you're eating. And I would beg my mom to make some kind of Western food, something that the other kids would eat. And of course, back then there were no cookbooks for Western cuisine that were written in uh, Chinese. So my mom had to sort of MacGyver uh, what she thought was Western food. 
And she zeroed in on spaghetti because it had noodles, and she thought, I can do that. So she boiled some noodles, and then she fried it, and, and she didn't know what spaghetti sauce was, but she knew it was red. And in, we owned a grocery store, so she looked around for anything that was red, and she zeroed in on uh, ketchup. So she made spaghetti with ketchup, and instead of meatballs, uh, she used uh, shrimp. So that was, uh, that was my introduction probably to the first Western food made by my mom. That was very generous of her to be experimental. <laughs> it was more pragmatic. It's like, we have ketchup, we have noodles. Did, did, do you ever recall seeing green onion cakes at home or in those restaurants in Chinatown when you were growing up? No, uh, no, my, I did not know what green onion cakes were until I stood in line behind Dan at the Fringe Festival going, why is this guy hoarding all the <laughs> green onion cakes? Uh, so, so growing up, I did not see it on any menus. And my mom, uh, even to this day, like I, I think I, when I first discovered the green onion cakes uh, in the mid-80s, I'd, I'd ask my mom, like, can we have green onion cakes? And she's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> so she had no idea what it was either. So, so it was one of those things where my discovery, my entry point was the same as Dan's. It was just something that I found at a festival, and I thought it's... Uh, it was like the Chinese equivalent of uh, uh, mini donuts, right? It's just something that you would just scarf down on a hot day. Tell us about that. Tell us about that festival. Uh, well, I was involved with the, the Fringe back in the uh, mid-'80s doing plays and, and uh, uh, doing some work with Rapid Fire. And I remember sort of walking through the site. And, and this is before we had, like, online ticket sales. You actually had to physically line up to get tickets. So oftentimes, you would know what the hit shows were because you could see this huge line uh, outside a venue. And I remember I was walking down uh, 83rd Avenue, and I saw this humongous line. And I was like, wow, what show is this? And I was looking around. I was like, there's no venue. And the line ended at the food tent that was serving the green onion cakes. And so, like any you know, fringe goer, if there's a line, you get in it because you want to see what's at the other end. So I stood in line and I waited and, and I found these green onion cakes and I think my wife was there and we tried it. And as soon as we bit into it, it was like, we were hooked. We, we just wanted more. And so we got back to the back of the line <laughs> and waited all the way through to get some again. And uh, because I was working at the fringe uh, every day, I would eat green onion cakes as soon as I got to the fringe site, uh, in between shows, and then of course you had to have a snack that you had to bring home because you never know if the green onion cakes will disappear the next day. So you want to make sure you have a stash of it. Uh, so, so that was sort of my introduction to it and it was amazing. And I think every year after that, uh, whenever I went to the fringe, my first stop would always be there. All right, I want to come back to you, but uh, I just want everybody to keep in mind, so we're talking about your family coming from southern China. Yes, southern China. And green onion cakes, not really a thing that your family is too familiar with, not really something you found in restaurants. No. All right. Uh, well, I'd like to invite up our next panelist, um, a man whose name you may be familiar with, uh, Suto. Would you please join us on stage? All right, so uh, Suto and his wife, Inato, uh, ran Happy Garden Restaurant in Park Allen, and everybody I asked about the origins of green onion cakes in Edmonton kept pointing me back to Sue, uh, especially Salma. Salma Keita, uh, you can just w give a wave. <laughs> if you've heard of the campaign to 
make green onion cakes the official food of Edmonton. Um, Selma is, is responsible for a lot of the excitement and, and she's the one who launched that. So thanks, Selma. Um, so Sue. Yeah. Let's start in Qingdao. Um, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pull up a map. Um, and I want you to tell me, how did you end up in Edmonton? You talk. I'm going to put up a thing. Oh, <laughs> it's a long journey. <laughs> when I was, uh, I grew up in uh, northern China. And uh, I was 14. Then uh, I have a chance to uh, migrate to Hong Kong. So in Hong Kong, I was finished my education and grow up in there until I was uh, half my family. Then I decided to uh, come here because my brother is in Edmonton here. That's why the reason I come in here. I want to draw for people just where Qingdao is on the map. Will my cord? Chris here in studio. If you want to see the map that we're talking about, head to our website, letsfindoutpodcast.com. Because I think when we talk about northern and southern China, sometimes it's a little abstract. So I've brought with me a map of China. I had this idea yesterday, this morning, um, and we rifled through our house for a map of China, and the only one we could find is from China. So I just want you to know that's why Taiwan looks like it's part of China. This is not a statement about uh, that it should be part of China. Um, so we got a map here, uh, and uh, Qingdao, uh, we're looking at the coast here. Um, so we've got Japan, we've got Korea, and this is Qingdao, where, where you're from. And this is, this is, you were born in 1940, is that right? Yes. What was China like in 1940? What was, what was happening? Well, we just finished uh, uh, World War II, right? <laughs> it was a pretty rough time, you know? And then the new China government just established, and they, they have so many uh, social uh, uh, renovations, you know. So dividing the lands, uh, freedom the ladies, and uh, uh, education, that kind of things. So for average people, it's a very, very tough time. So your parents, they found a way out. Is that, yeah. Can you tell us about that? Oh. That was a that was a miracle in that time, because uh, not you 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 probably know that uh, not many Chinese uh, northern Chinese people coming to to Western world. The reason is uh, we have uh, we have uh, cargo ship. The seamen of the cargo ship is uh, our our relative, so uh, we uh, sneak into the cargo ship in the midnight. You know. And the cargo ship is from uh, Qingdao to Hong Kong. So that's why I come to Hong Kong. So we've got Chris here in studio again. Just a tiny bit of clarification. Sue explained afterwards that it was actually just his parents that snuck into Hong Kong on that boat. Sue and the rest of his family followed look afterwards. afterwards. We just want to give you a sense of when we're talking about Qingdao, it's in uh, Shandong province yeah. up, up north. And uh, your family had moved down to Hong Kong. Right. Okay. So Song Yobing, yeah. green onion cakes. Yeah. What's your first memories of them? Okay, if we can divide the Hong Kong, uh, the China is uh, southern China and northern China, and uh, if we if we uh, separate the food, the southern China eat, eating the rice, right? You know the termite, right? <laughs> 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 and uh, northern China they eat the wheat, wheat products, right? 
They can just think about anything. They can make noodles, they can make breads, they make buns, they can make anything with the wheat, right? And the green onion cake is just very simple. You think about the poor mother uh, prepared a meal and not many ingredients and just the oil and salt and the green onion and make a food and kids will love to eat, right? And satisfy too, you know, that's the kind of thing. I'm gonna come back. Uh, and how big, how big are these green onion cakes that you remember from when you were young? Oh, yeah, because uh, it, it want to, like you say, you, you make a green onion cake, right? But if uh, you think about the mother would make, they would make a bigger one, that's just like a pizza, right? Because it's easy to make, just make a one big one, right? And then you pan fry, you pan fry one time, you don't pan fry it six or seven times, right? So you, you make a big one, and you cut the wedges just like a pizza, right? <laughs> so when you buy it at street food in Qingdao, you get a wedge. Yeah, yeah. You get a wedge, okay. Yeah. So your family had moved to Hong Kong, you grew up, you were a young man in, yeah. in Hong Kong. You did lots of different jobs, it sounds like. Oh yeah, many different jobs. <laughs> <laughs> and you ate a lot, is that right, in Hong Kong? You like going oh, out? Oh yeah, yeah, I love the food, you know. That's a, yeah, and one thing about Northern Chinese people is uh, we don't go to the restaurant. We, we're entertaining the people come to our house. So we like to make uh, uh, dumplings, right? We're making uh, some uh, fret, uh, like a pan, uh, like a wrappers, that, wrapper, that kind of things. So we make lots of things to invite the French uh, entertainer in house, yeah. Mm. Okay, so um, how did you end up in Edmonton? There was the connection with your brother. Uh, yes, I, uh, before I come to Edmonton, I already have two kids, about three and one years old, and I'm starting to worry about how I can uh, educate my children in the future. And you know the Hong Kong that time was all, already about four point half million people there. We only have uh, two universities. So uh, it's very difficult for an ordinary people like me to think about my kids can have a, a, a better education. So that's the reason I'm coming here. Mm. And how did Happy Garden, this restaurant in Park Island, how did it start? Oh, Happy Garden is, uh, before I started the Happy Garden, I was, uh, Coming to this this new town, I was working in the construction, and uh, I I like to keep our heritage. I invited the people coming to my home as a weekend entertainment. So I, I I I we learn English from the conversation, and we share the food, that kind of things. So and uh, and uh, secondly, because uh, I go to the restaurant and the second floor too. Oh, you know that. Yes. <laughs> It was the only restaurant. <laughs> and and uh, me and my wife is a finished construction. This is the place we go to stop, and we have one pot of the hot pot, and then we both uh, have a meal, that kind of thing. But in the same time, I I, I thinking about the local Chinese restaurant have something uh, different than my hometown cooking, so that 
as a newcomer, I always looking for opportunities. So I thought, huh, I maybe have a chance to do the cooking business. And then I keep looking for the journal every day, journal uh, business classification every day. Just like uh, people looking for the realtor, realty today. So one day, I, then I see the advertising, say the restaurant selling for $30,000. And uh, yeah, if you only can pay $6,000, the rest is installment. Wow. <laughs> so I thought to my wife, I said, let's go. <laughs> so I pick up the phone, I tell him, I will come to your restaurant and pay you $6,000 and hold on and don't sell it to anyone within this hour, okay? And he said? He said, okay. <laughs> he said, but don't worry, I've been advertising for two months already. <laughs> Nobody. <laughs> <laughs> so, were green onion cakes on the menu when you first opened? Yes, the first thing I do is uh, I'm making the green onion cake. Right? And what did they look like then? Uh, that time, the, uh, it's a bigger than today you're eating. I, I try to make it a little bigger. <laughs> like a, like a, what they said, uh, like a personal size of a pizza, that kind of thing, 10, ten inches one. But then uh, I reduced to the more like a personal size now, right? So they were they were bigger back then. Yeah. When did you first start selling the the smaller kind? When did they first like kind of catch on as their own thing? Well, because the customer was uh, uh, a little bit complaining, you know, say say shoe, uh, your granny cake sounds like a too big, looks like a too big, you know. When we have this appetizer. That, that, that means that we don't need any other food anymore, you know? <laughs> and there was a reviewer from the Edmonton Journal who came to Happy Garden, right? Yes. Judy Schultz? Yes. Okay, so how did that review change the, the, the restaurant? Uh, that was a very uh, dramatic uh, event. I remember Judy Schultz was coming with another lady and with the kids, with the little kids. And uh, they order so many food, all the menus, all the items from my menus. And I was the person to serving in the front. I would say, huh, I said, ladies, excuse me, you order too many food. He <laughs> <laughs> said, don't worry, <laughs> we will eat uh, all we can take out. I say, no, no, no. <laughs> Chinese food is better you eat right here. And uh, uh, if you like our food, you can come tomorrow, right? <laughs> so, uh, so, so, so then she asked me how many items I should order. I say, for two and the kids, maybe, maybe three or four. That's the maximum, okay? So you can come back next time. <laughs> but she wrote about the green onion cakes. Uh, yeah, she wrote, uh, yeah, she wrote the Green Onion King, yeah. All right, so that is part of the piece of how the word started to get out. And then tell me about Taste of Edmonton. Okay. Tell me about when you first started selling the Green Onion Cake at the festivals. Oh, uh, I, I remember <coughs> uh, that was uh, in 1985. And uh, there's a group of the uh, city uh, people from the 
downtown uh, uh, economic uh, development, something like this. And I think they see some something in the Boston cities have that kind of a taste of a Boston, that kind of thing. So they they coming back. They say we want to do something like like this, right? And uh, they show us the picture, or something, and so they select. We are the one of their select uh, selector restaurants. So there's another one like uh, Bistro Prahas and uh, Normans, right? So we started the first year, and the uh, first year we are not in the in the downtown square. We are in the convention center. When the when the convention center, remember? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We have some audience members nodding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. And why did you pick green onion cakes to sell? Them? Well, uh, because very simple. Of a green onion cake, you just bring the uh, green onion cake frozen pre-made, and in the job side, you just pan fry them and you serve, right? If we do the, the stir fry, then I have a thinking about the shrimps. You like shrimps, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. yes. <laughs> Not with ketchup. <laughs> Not with ketchup. <laughs> or noodles. Uh, so uh, if uh, beef or pork, you got too many ingredients to ca to carry, right? And you on the side you don't have uh, refrigeration. So 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 the obviously for me, uh, green onion cake is the best uh, choice. Well, how, what did people think of green onion cakes that year? Well, the in the in the general public, maybe they don't know the green onion cake unless you are my uh, customer uh, guest in my restaurant before. So I have to promote it. I have to encourage the people to taste. So in the first, I remember in the first part of the uh, green onion cake we selling, we literally giving the samples for everyone. We encourage the people to taste. And you could afford to give a sample? Oh yeah, because uh, green onion cake, the cost is very reasonable, right? And, and the Samba Uli was very helpful too, right? <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we're at 1985. We're at Taste of Edmonton. Green onion cakes are starting to become people, something that people in Edmonton are more familiar with. I think this is a good time to invite our next panelist up. Please welcome Linda Tsang. Have I said that right, Sang? Sang, yeah. Sang. <laughs> You're close enough, it's okay. <laughs> All right, Linda is Curator of Cultural Communities at the Royal Alberta Museum, and you are probably familiar with some of her work because she curated the Chop Suey on the Prairies exhibit at the RAM. Ooh. Yeah, round <laughs> um, An exhibit which documented stories of Chinese immigrants and Chinese restaurant cuisine in Alberta. I loved that exhibit. Thank you. <laughs> um, so Linda, what food traditions inspired Chinese Canadian restaurant cuisine for the early 20th century? Uh, well, in the, early, in the early 20th century, a Chinese restaurant was defined by the fact that a Chinese person owned it, mm -hmm. not the food. If we look at early menus up until probably the 40s, 
You're talking about you're talking about sandwiches, steaks, you know, basically Western food. Um, there's a little bit of variation if you're actually in a city. So if you're in one of the major cities, Vancouver, San Francisco, then there are specialty chop suey restaurants. But that's not exactly Chinese food, it's chop suey. Um, so really, and in terms of Alberta, Alberta's a little bit later in the game because of immigration patterns. So certainly outside of the major cities, so outside of Calgary and Edmonton, you don't see Chinese food appearing regularly on Chinese restaurant menus until we actually get to the 80s. Yeah, I know. What? <laughs> no. Um, you know, I mean, listen. People always point it, right? Because the Chinese people live and work in the restaurants and they go, ooh, can I have that? You know, so there's always a secret menu you could actually ask about. But in terms of actual menus, you're talking about, you know, bologna sandwiches. You're talking about grilled cheese. I mean, when we interviewed people about their memories of local rural restaurants, it was never about the food. Or they'd say things like, oh, it's the best grilled cheese and tomato soup. You're like, okay. <laughs> so, but in the cities, it's a different matter. You know, in cities, there is a volume, right? Like Marty was saying, you know, coming in from Morinville to get your groceries and then getting your dim sum fix, right? So the cities are the places where the dispersed Chinese community came in to reconnect with their own community, right? Because most of the most of the time, if you're looking at the rural experience, most Chinese families are the only Chinese families in that town. Yeah, I mean, you're lucky if you get, you know, there, there's some little anomalies. Lacombe actually was an anomaly. Lacombe at one point was the most Chinese town in Canada. Yeah, it How had- How many did they have? Uh, they actually had like a 20%. 20% of the population was Chinese, but you know, I mean, it's a little town. But they had over 100 Chinese people living in Lacombe in the 20s. Yeah, you know, so there's these little anomalous pockets. But even in Lacombe, you know, all the Chinese restaurants were serving sandwiches, steaks, you know, those, those staple items. Hmm. And to your knowledge, did green onion cakes show up on any menus before 1985-ish? I mean, we didn't come across, well, they wouldn't have. Green onion cakes are northern Chinese food. And it, it necessitates a change in the immigration patterns for people from northern, you know, who are from northern China to come to this country, establish a business, and then take the chance of creating food that is not typical. I mean, it's a business. Right. Fundamentally, you want your business to succeed. So most Chinese people who come here make and open restaurants are making are replicating successful menu items. Right. right. Your your dad wants to eat the same thing. <laughs> you know, that's you know, it's a business. So it takes somebody who has a bit of a drive, a bit of entrepreneurial spirit, to say, I'm going to take advantage of a demographic change. I'm going to take advantage of the time of the fact that people are now ready for something different, right? And the 80s were a very specifically 
special time for that because of the Multiculturalism Act, right? You know, the government now is sponsoring people to try other people's cultures through festivals, through events, right? This is now a government-sponsored program to let you understand other cultures. Well, then that means it's gonna be easier for a restaurateur to say, okay, we're not gonna do chop suey food. We're not gonna do Cantonese food. We're gonna do the food that we brought with us. Can we talk just for a little bit about why did so many Chinese people go into the restaurant industry in Canada? I, I have some stuff too, so it's not all on you. Okay. But let's talk about the context. Like, what other options were available to people? What was the push and pull? Okay. So this is the entire exhibit that I did that he wants me to <laughs> that he wants me to condense into, into a minute. Um, I mean, you know, that's what one of the things we examined, right? Because that that's always the myth. You know, every Chinese every new Chinese immigrant, their first job is in a Chinese restaurant. And there is a certain truth to that, right? My mother made my dad swear that we would not open a Chinese restaurant <laughs> before she agreed to immigrate because she didn't want to do it. Your family's from Anhui province, is that right? Uh, well, we're, we're from Taiwan, oh, but okay. we're refugees. <laughs> you know, we were of the class of people who had to flee China to Taiwan, right? So. Most, yeah, you know, from, from the time we immigrated, you know, restaurants were a big business. Um, if we go all the way back to the earliest Chinese immigration, it's about opportunity. You know, um, Chinese people, certainly the Chinese men that were here in those very first generation of immigrants were stigmatized. They were considered to be quite effeminate so their jobs were restricted to those things that women, were, women would have done but don't do because they're not in Canada. So they washed your clothes. <laughs> they cleaned your house. They were houseboys. They cooked your food, right? It was either that or be, or work in very difficult labor positions. Which so if you think about it, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. do you want a lot? Do you want to pull logs or do you want to live in somebody's house and do a little housework? <laughs> and even yeah. those options were limited by white Canadians almost from the beginning. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah um, I, I have just a, a brief run through <laughs> of some discriminatory legislation towards Chinese Canadians um, in, in employment, voting, and immigration. Uh, 1872. The British Columbia government uh, disqualified Chinese and Indians, by which they mean indigenous people, from voting at a provincial level. That comes into play later on with um, a lot of professional work, because um, later a law is passed that prevents 1895, you're barred from studying law unless you're on the provincial voting list. 1891, you're barred from registering as a pharmacist apprentice unless you're on the voting list. Uh, there are a shocking number of BC laws specifically about, like, individual companies that they don't want Chinese people working at. 1886, Chinese prohibited from working for a telephone company, a street railway company, a waterworks in Coquitlam. 1899, no liquor licenses for Indian, and again, they mean indigenous, Chinese or Japanese people. Like, a lot of options are being shut down for people at the time, too. Well, 
and it's particularly a critical issue for BC, right? The Chinese, well, the Canadian government limited, Chinese people could only come through ports in BC. You could not enter the country through any other means. So, you know, Pier 21 is the major port of entry on the East Coast. Well, if somehow you were over there and wanted to come into Canada and you were Chinese, you couldn't. You had to enter through two specifically designated Western, West Coast ports, which then fed into either Victoria, New Westminster, or Vancouver. Right? And Chinese people had been, have been in Canada since really 1858 with the gold rush. So what they were fearing was what they were seeing in the states. The states had an open, they had a similar issue with the gold rush, but they also had, at the time, not any specifically restrictive policies, and they were seeing all these Chinese people. You know, and the real theory is we were the one group that didn't look like them. So we see the, the head tax coming in, yep. charging people first, uh, I think it's $10, and then ramping up to $500 yeah. per person to come in if they were Chinese. Um, and then in, in 1923, the Chinese Exclusion Act yeah. comes in. Um, so this is why you hear about a lot of bachelor communities, lots of um, male-only Chinese communities in Canada in those early days, is because um, people were not, not only being restricted by having to pay the head tax, but then they weren't allowed to bring their families over, people who weren't um, men were, were being locked out for... Well, technically they could bring their families over, they just had to pay the $500 head tax, right? So unless you were quite wealthy, you would spend the money on bringing another one of your male relatives over, because they would earn money, right? Because one of the big things is the remittances, mm. right? People were here in order to support entire extended families in China. So are you gonna spend $500 to bring your daughter, mm. <laughs> your wife over, who really can't earn money? Or are you gonna bring your nephew, your son over, who could then help you send money back home? No. The irony is, I mean, the, you know, the Canadian government enacted that legislation in order to restrict immigration. But you know, the criticism is, well, these people will never integrate. Well, they're never gonna integrate if they're not allowed to bring their families. Yeah. You know, so it's a self-perpetuating prophecy, right? You're always going to be an outsider because you're never settled because you don't have your family. And after World War II is when this begins to shift, right, with Canadian immigration policy? Yeah, um, in part because the Canadians were allied with the Chinese during World War II. A number of Chinese Canadians, despite not having citizenship, volunteered to fight in the Pacific arena. And it is really the Chinese veterans that form the core that lobby the government to say, you know, we've now bled for you. Mm. <laughs> we have bled and died for you. Mm. It still took two years <laughs> to lobby the Canadian government to rescind the Chinese Immigration Act. Let's, let's leap back. <laughs> let's leap back into the 80s, <laughs> to the stuff we all love eating. I think just wanted to lay down some context for some of those um, demographic uh, changes over time. So coming back to the 80s, Suto has brought green onion cakes to the festival season, the festival circuit. Uh, anybody can take this one. When did we first start seeing green onion cakes 
popping up in other places, other restaurants, other festivals. Did you want it? Yeah, when did you first start seeing other people replicating it? Uh, <clears throat> uh, yeah, uh, when I started in the South Side, in the Park Island, the Happy Garden, I was uh, the only one serving the Northern Chinese food. And my menu was different. I'm not copying and uh, follow other people. So uh, uh, when I getting a little bit popular and then uh, so that there's uh, many restaurant tours, they come into my restaurant, they, they eat my items like a, like a mushy pork, right? Hot and sour soup, uh, uh, the Sichuan beef, right? And, and all these things, they're very interesting, so they're starting to, uh, to do it by themselves. I, I really wish they can ask me how to do the Sichuan beef. I tell them right away, right? <laughs> that, 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 actually, that's no secret, right? Because, uh, but, uh, but the people are kind of uh, shy to, to ask me the ingredient, right? So that's okay. So uh, like, uh, to answer your question, is, uh, I think it's in the, in the early '82. Uh, 82, they're starting to, to do some green onion cake. Okay. Like, right. a, like our neighbor, Delta Food, right? <laughs> when he says our neighbor, he literally means that Delta Foods, this manufacturer of green onion cakes, is on this block. <laughs> they're literally down the street. <laughs> That's true. When did, when, when did you fir first start manufacturing pre-made green onion cakes? Because you got into this business too, right? Yeah, uh, I don't have a, I have a little unpopular, <laughs> not the glory story is, uh, in the 92, I uh, declared bankruptcy <laughs> because I expanded too fast, right? It's just me and my wife have a four Mongolian restaurant and a happy gardens. So uh, one thing about a business, no matter what you do, the fundamental is the financing. Uh, but I didn't realize that. I just enjoy the riding, right? So so good. One day the band will say, "Sure, we want our money." <laughs> I say, "Why? I I, I pay in, I pay monthly instrument. I pay the interest in." They say, "No, no, your financial report is no good. We want our money back. That's why I I was a bankruptcy. When I bankruptcy, so uh, what what I'm gonna do?" So I, I think about, I, I can do green onion cake at least, right? So I starting to uh, do the green onion cake, selling to the restaurants. So that's how I surviving till today. And Genghis Quality Foods? Yes, that's my business before. Okay, so I find this fascinating. If you're a small business starting up and trying to get into a grocery store, it's not easy, but you just started calling grocery stores? Yes, uh, I was uh, selling the grocery, uh, I was uh, selling to individual restaurants, but uh, not very good success. So one day in the morning, I was decided to uh, uh, call the, all the major uh, grocery store. Everyone, the first one is Safeway, then the Sobeys, and the Safeone, everyone. I speak the same language, I say, here, uh, I'm the local 
food producers. Okay, uh, I don't have agents. I don't have uh, da da da. So uh, I hope you can help. That's my conversation. In the leave the message, and the same day in the afternoon, four o'clock, there's a calling from Calgary, and said, "Would you come to our office?" I said, "Where's the office?" He said, "Give me the address." So I know that was a headquarters in Alberta, Safeway head, uh, stores. So I go in there, and they say, he said, "What do you selling?" I said, "Green onion cake." And what other things you selling? I know, just green onion cake. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, say, uh, how do you distribution? I say, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Then he say, you need a distributor. Uh, you need an agency. Here is the agency you're going to call. This is the distributor you're going to call. I say, yes, hallelujah. I only know how to make it. <laughs> And uh, you, you've since uh, sold the business, but uh, you can find these ones, the Genghis... Quality foods, green onion cakes too, and they still say a taste of Edmonton original. Yes, yes, that's that's my uh, catch catch word because no people know what this uh, package is, right? So I want to remind the Edmontonian. I mean, I was selling the green onion cake. So today you still see the package uh, in the Italian center shop, right? And this they selling quite a bit or TNT, right? The kind of things. And your general store. Okay, I hadn't, oh, hadn't yeah. seen them there. Thank you, Kyla, from the audience. Oh, um, this one is for both Suto and Linda. Why do some green onion cakes look like your kind, Sue's the 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 pancake kind that everybody's had? Those were made by Sue. Um, why do some look like that, and some in Edmonton look like donuts? Uh. I think there's a, a long time ago, and then there's a couple. They started this uh, like a donut shape, the one. Is uh, they are starting to make uh, in the Chinatown, the city market, the old city market there. Yeah, that's how they started in there. They manufacturing the 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 rep, the the donut shape. Yeah. But but why? Uh, I, I don't know. You had to ask him. <laughs> Linda, you had some speculation on this, right? Um, well, I was speaking to the proprietors of the Ling Nan. Yeah. Right? And they, you know, they're one of the longest running Chinese restaurants in Edmonton. Um, they are Cantonese, and they sell the donut-shaped green onion cakes. And they were telling me that for them, you know, originally they, they were making them. They were making their own version of green onion cakes. But then they just kind of thought, that's a lot of work. You know, and then somebody came up with this manufactured product, which is this donut shape, and they kind of went, "Huh," because the donut shaped ones are deep fried, which for them is easier to do than the pan frying. So they started buying from this manufacturing again because it was easier for them, <laughs> right? So the donut shaped ones are that. I also personally think the people who came up with the donut shaped ones aren't northern Chinese. Because it's not a bing, right? You know, it's tong yo bing, and a bing for us as Chinese people is a very specific thing, and it doesn't butterfly. You know, it doesn't go like this. <laughs> it, you know, a bing is flat, and so the fact that it sort of butterflies open 
tells me that they're not Northern Chinese because they would never call that a Bing. <laughs> if you has anybody played Mahjong? Sure. Okay, so if you get the the tiles that have the little circle on them, the Chinese name for that tile is like one Bing, two Bing, three Bing. So yeah, it's the, the circle shape. Yeah, I find that like so interesting. Like I didn't know that having a hole in the middle is kind of a, a cipher to tell like who's working in the kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> Um, uh, the things you learn. <laughs> <laughs> so, I'm curious why green onion cakes took hold when they did. Why not earlier? Why not later? Who would like to speculate on this? Uh, I'll, I'll take a swing at it. Mm -hmm. I, I, I think it's no accident that both Dan and I discovered it at the Fringe Festival. I mean, in the 80s, in the mid-80s, there was this sort of explosion of festivals happening in the city because I think the provincial had, the government had a lot of money that they were throwing at uh, local producers to do festivals like the Fringe, uh, Jazz City. Uh, and so you had this sort of excitement in the city of going, oh, we can do something in the summer instead of just going out to the cabin or to the lake. And people were sticking around the city and enjoying the festivals. And what came with the entertainment, with the arts, were also some of the, the food vendors. And I, for me, I connect the Green Onion Cake with the Fringe Festival. I can't separate the two of them because that's where I discovered my love of theater and also my love of your Green Onion Cakes. I'm sorry, but the donut-shaped one, that's just some weird abomination. That's <laughs> um, Frankenstein's monster. I, I don't know what that thing is, but never, ever eat that, sorry, to anyone who likes it. Uh, <laughs> but it, it, the connection point of it it's kind of like when you have that awesome summer uh, at a beach and there's a song that you hear over and over again and every time you hear that song, you're transported to that summer at the beach. And for me, every time I bite into a green onion cake, I'm transported back to the mid-80s when the fringe was really fun and exciting and you had people running around doing all these amazing shows and uh, you could just hang out in a beer tent with your plastic glass of beer and your plate of green onion cakes, and if you were so moved, you could go grab a, a mini donut. But, but for me, and probably some people of that particular festival generation, whenever they see a green, green onion cake, it's that connection point, it's that nostalgia moment that comes through, which is, I think, the reason why it's so, so specific to Edmonton. I remember I was in St. John's, Newfoundland last year, and I was you know, trying to discover some of the local cuisine there, and I discovered uh, Towton's, right? That sort of fried dough breakfast thing that, that uh, uh, Maritimers have. And I ate it and I was like, oh wow, cool. This is like a breakfast food that's kind of like fried dough. And on my Facebook wall, I just posted a question. I said, I found these Towton's. It seems very specific to Newfoundland. Do we have anything specific to Edmonton? And of course, green onion cake came up over and over again. And of course, it started a fight because somebody said, you know that's Chinese food, right? You should do some real Edmonton food, like pierogies. I was like, well, wait a minute. <laughs> Hold on here. <laughs> so, so there is that sort of connection point that's very specific to Edmonton and very specific to the festival. Because I think if you have people who weren't as plugged into the festivals, I think you would have people scratching their heads going, why are you guys so excited about you know, this green onion cake? But if you find somebody who's in love with festivals, they, they have a special place in their heart for the green onion cake as well. I think the folk music festival is another big one that you didn't mention too. Like that's, I think many people have memories of seeing the seemingly seven kilometer long line at the folk <laughs> fest, people just waiting for green onion cakes. 
Thank you. <laughs> Lin- Linda, do you buy the nostalgia line? I mean, I think I do, right? The reason, the reason green onion cakes could come here was because of those immigration changes, because of the, the general social changes that came with the, you know, the government support of multiculturalism, law, immigration laws that had changed that allowed for more diverse Chinese immigration, immigrant population trickled down. I mean, the laws changed in 67, but it took about 80s before that diversification came to Edmonton. So you're now getting a more diverse Chinese population who are going to support you know, a Mandarin's restaurant in its early years Right, because you know that's who's going to eat there is first the Chinese people and then the Caucasian people are going to follow, right? So you get that kind of support, and then I do think, yeah, I mean, in all our research, it really fo- boils down to Edmonton Edmontonians being very proud of being festival city in all its festivals, and that green onion cakes were festival food. So how should we think of the green onion cake? Is it an Edmonton thing? It is, is it a Chinese thing? Is it a festival thing? Okay, well, for me, it's a Chinese thing. I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, I'm from northern China, and we grew up with it in all its variations, right? Because what, you know, what we have in Edmonton is a very specific form of green onion cakes. There's a taller one? Yeah, there's one called Daping. Right, which you get in different provinces, and it's actually a raised dough. Mm-hmm. But again, it's flat, and you pan fry it on both sides. But it's a big, fluffy piece of bread speckled with green onions. You know, but you also get the, the thin ones, where it's a layer of almost onion jam mm. you know, between two. Yeah, so there's all these variations, but they're all cong yu bing. And sorry, it's ours. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Marty, what do you think? Uh, I think, it, it, for me, it's like an, an example of, of sort of the embracing or assimilation of another culture and, and taking it in as, as, as one's own. So its roots, I think, are still in China, but I think the appreciation is coming from a different source now, right? It's, it's, it's a food that a certain generation of Edmontonians just cling to because of, of the joy that it brings to us. Because I remember... Uh, I remember I, I did go on an odyssey. I went on a search for it because if, if you don't know that it's in the Italian center in, in some of the restaurants, you're, you're served, you're, you're, you're jonesing for your green onion cake fix. And I remember I'd heard rumor that, that, that it was at, uh, did you have the restaurant downtown in Chinatown as well? Did, did you run that for a little bit? Uh, not in Chinatown. Not in Chinatown? Because I remember I heard a story that somebody had served the, the sort of fringe level, so I think it was an imitator. Yeah. Uh, who's, who's, who served it? And I went and, and I, I sussed it out. And when, when I sat down and ate it, you know, it was one of those things that I went, I, I, I connect with this. You know, I'm from southern China, so my connection point is, is different than somebody who grew up with the food as, as, as part of their everyday lives. So, uh, so I think it's, it's just that uh, piece of time that, 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 it, that it represents. Sue, do you have anything to add? Do you think green onion cakes are an Edmonton thing? Are they a Chinese thing? Are they a festival thing? Well, to me, I think uh, uh, because uh, starting with uh, 78, uh, today is uh, 
since uh, nearly 40 years, right? Today it's 18, right? So 14 years, uh, I've been serving uh, many Edmontonian, right? And uh, everyone is loved this uh, food. And uh, I think we put a very good uh, registration to the Edmontonian, right? Uh, I I think that it's belong to Edmonton, right? And uh, and also I've been working this Grand Cave from the this bay to this bay, <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> many times. But today I really can uh, think about is uh, to tell everyone today is uh, we have the best Grand Cave <laughs> over the Chinese people. <laughs> Yeah, because because Edmonton, you encourage me, and I keep keep uh, refine my work. And you know, today, every patch of the Grianne cake I taste, I taste before I selling. That's uh, I I think we have the best Grianne cake here. It belongs to Edmonton. So even I uh, I put a YouTube. You two there, if you click in the uh, Green King Man, that's me. <laughs> so, Sue has posted a video of how to make them. He, he walks oh. you yeah. through all the steps. So. Yeah. <laughs> also, just to add on to that, just, just listening to your story uh, and, and just sort of knowing the success of it, in some ways, the green onion cake also represents Edmonton and the, the DIY spirit of the city, right? The, the sense that you see so many people who are like, I want to try something, and Edmontonians, uh, just sort of bragging and, and, and boasting a little bit, it seems Edmontonians are more willing to jump in and try to build something from scratch. And there's, certainly in theater, there's a community out there that supports that sort of independent spirit that grows and grows and grows. And the green onion cake, I think, is a perfect example of that, that's something that's homegrown in terms of like the success being within the city, but embraced by the people within the city as well. Dan, do you have any thoughts on how we should think about the green onion cake? Well, as the only person sitting up here of absolutely no Chinese descent, <laughs> like, it's really hard for me to try to speak to that with any kind of authority. <laughs> to me, it's something I grew up with in Edmonton. As I said, I've moved to a couple other cities. I make them, people love them, uh, actually, <laughs> as, when you were saying, when you started answering this question, Linda, one of the first things I thought back to was a Chinese friend of mine in Ottawa, somehow this came up and she said, oh, well, why don't you make some and, you know, bring them over? And because she knew them. She was from Southern China, actually. Like, I know the, the variety that we, Marty, I'm kind of on Marty's side with the rising ones. Uh, I'll eat them, but grudgingly. And so this woman told me, hey, yeah, that's something my mom used to make, but she saw what I made and she thought, well, why are they so flat? And she tried them, she liked them, and she just, well, she said, maybe that's just how Edmonton Chinese people do it. Like, I don't she didn't, that's not a very sophisticated way to think of it, of course. But to me, it's like an Edmonton thing that I've grown up with. Supermarkets sell them, this package that Chris is holding here. I don't know if anyone mentioned the Lucky Supermarket. That's where I used to get them. I don't, I've been gone a while, maybe they still sell them there. But I used to get them there, and I've, I'm now living in a city where they don't exist in the same way. So I, I was talking about them and someone asked, said, oh no, there's this place that sells them in Osborne Village in Winnipeg. And so we went down there that day because I said, yeah, if I can eat them without having to make them, 
It's not like it's terribly difficult, but it's a bit labor intensive, hence people finding manufacturing processes. And we went down and it was this long knotted doughy deep fried thing. It wasn't even the rising thing. It was like a deep fried knot of dough that was the saltiest thing I've ever had and it was spackled with green onions. And I had to politely kind of say, yeah, that was okay. But it, I'm so sorry yeah. for your trouble. It's not what I wanted. Actually, just last week, someone told me there's a place three blocks from my house called New Hong Kong that apparently has a flat variety of green onion cake. <laughs> They're only open like 10 to 3 on work days, so I haven't had a chance to check it out yet, but I certainly plan to. All right. Uh, well, I, I, I want to give Dan, I want to at least give you the shot, the last question. Is there anything else that you're curious about before we take a break? Anything you want to pose to our panelists? <laughs> That's a really tough thing to grapple with. You can write it on a card. Am I, am I allowed to claim them as an Edmonton thing? Like, so there seems to be a, a split opinion here. It's like I asked people around Winnipeg in preparation for coming out here if there was an analogous food item they could think of. There are a couple ideas floated, but nothing that's quite the same. Like, this isn't like an Appalachian thing, as they say, or champagne, you know, regional stuff. This is Chinese people coming to a different place and bringing a certain food item. And I mean, it's the fried bread. Like, there are thousands of different varieties of similar stuff across the world. Um, but I don't know. It's, I don't have a good question. Did you wanna, did is it fair for me to go to leave Edmonton and tell people this is an Edmonton thing that I can share with you? Yeah. I don't know. I, I mean, I, I want to just say I think that's fair because I, I agree with Sue that they've become something new here. In our little crucible, they've become a unique form. Mm. So when you talk about green onion cakes, you're not talking about the weird dough, hard, Frankenstein. Yeah. <laughs> You're talking about like the, the kind that's flat or the, the fluffy rising donut kind. That's something Absolutely. I think that's something unique. Anybody else want to take a last stab at that? Well, okay, so my thing is I'm not from here, right? Which is why I have a hard time with it being claimed as an Edmontonian thing. It's what I grew up with. You know, my mom makes them, and when we couldn't buy them, she had to make them. <laughs> you know, and that's what we ate with certain meals, which is why I'm a little, you know, but I understand the popularity here, and I certainly, I certainly think you have every right to say it's an Edmonton thing in terms of its popularity. My problem probably stems with claiming ownership of it, right? I try to take great pains to explain. Well, no, I don't think you, no, but you know, uh, that there's a different thing when you claim ownership true. over something. Same well, with pierogies, Yeah. someone brought up earlier, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't, you know, I like pierogies, but I wouldn't claim any ownership over a pierogi just because I like it. Yeah, uh, I just want to put up this one. Say like uh, we say uh, uh, Montreal bagel, right? But the Montreal bagel in the Victor, uh, the people is not from Montreal, right? They're from the Polish Jewish people, right? Uh, but they make it popular because of becoming uh, Montreal's signature food, right? And why? Because they are, they are there for like, uh, 
I think over 60 years now, right? So same, we have the same reason to claim the green onion cake is our Edmonton food, right? Because we love them, right? Uh, so if uh, another 20 years maybe, <laughs> right? You know, <laughs> if we can make a, a, a bagel, like a bagel, that kind of thing, a bagel shop, uh, you know, they they selling day and night, day and night, everything. But if you go to other city, you won't like the the the, the bagel they make, right? The New York people like the New York bagel, right? Uh, Ottawa have uh, cattleman bagel, right? They import their water from Montreal so that they can <laughs> actually. They do. It's a thing, and they're delicious. <laughs> They can get the water from Riddell Canal. <laughs> they've got the they've got a whole sign up in Kettleman saying we bring our water from Montreal. It's the same water that Saint Viateur uses in their bagels. I, I sort of think of back to what Linda talked about in terms of uh, sort of when the early Chinese immigrants came in and because Chinese looked different, yeah. they they weren't able to be assimilated. And then when the, the government introduced the Multiculturalism Act, maybe the green onion cake is sort of representative of that in the sense that you can claim the green onion cake as Edmonton in the same way that if somebody who's from another country comes to Canada, you can claim them as Canadians as well, even though they have their roots in another heritage. So you can say that I am Chinese, I am Canadian, I am Edmontonian, I'm all those things. So a green onion cake can be Edmonton, it can be Northern China, and it can be the Fringe Festival, <laughs> as long as it's flat. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, let's leave it there for, for now. Um, please give a round of applause to our panelists. And, and also to Dan for asking such a wonderful question. So at this point, we had a brief intermission, and audience members threw their questions in a bucket for the panelists. We'll get to those spicy questions in a moment, including some hot tips about some new sauce ideas. But first, Let's Find Out is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network. The network hosts 32 podcasts and provides support through funding, events, and facilitating a community for local podcasters. So a great podcast currently on the Alberta Podcast Network is the Dave Berta Podcast, hosted by Dave Cornoyer, Ryan Hastman, and Adam Rosenhart. Dave Berta delivers political hot takes from an Edmontonian perspective on various topics like the recent Alberta provincial budget announcement. I highly recommend the Dave Berta Podcast, and you can find it along with other amazing shows at the Alberta Podcast Network. Let's Find Out is also supported by the Edmonton Community Foundation, makers of the Well Endowed podcast. Their most recent episode focuses on women, from the YWCA's counseling program to women building futures, and also women in politics. Here's a snippet of their chat with Edmonton City Councilor Bev Essinger. Women, when they're ready, they need to run. Everybody says, so what advice would you give me? I said, just go for it. You know, if you run for office and you're not successful, go again. When you get your driver's license and you're not successful, you don't say, oh, I'm not meant to drive. You usually take the test again. You can subscribe to the Well Endowed Podcast wherever you listen to podcasts.
Thank you for all of your excellent questions. We're going to try to get through as many as we can because there are some really good ones in here. Um, can Catherine Lennon, can you please come up? <laughs> can you come to the microphone here and uh, ask your question? Okay. Um, my question is, so I just saw the View Weekly Golden Fork Awards come out, and I, I always think this every year when I see this. Um, my question is, why in Edmonton don't we see our Chinese restaurateurs as chefs in the same kind of category as our other celebrated chefs in our food scene here in the city? All right, who wants to answer this one? Racism. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Marty, for being the one to say it. All right, next question. Uh, Barbara Hilden. Uh, we actually picked both of your questions. Um, okay, so I had two questions. Um, the first one was about ginger beef. I've heard that that's a Calgary Chinese, or a Chinese food that originated in Calgary, and I was just hoping for some elaboration. Yeah, but a little bit longer story. Can I do that? Absolutely. Uh, I started a happy garden in 78, right? <laughs> but it was not right away hit the, hit the market very good. So uh, we go to Calgary. They are the first one to sell in the ginger beef. And uh, I, was, I was one Friday afternoon and me and my wife and my chef, three people, and the in the 5.30, quarter to six, and we don't have a customer. So I decided, close the door, and we head to the Calgary. All three of you, road trip. Yeah. And go to the Calgary, and we arrive at Calgary about 10.30. <laughs> that, that day was snowing, snowing. 10.30, they still have a people lined up on the outside of the door. So we go in there and we order, one of the order is a ginger beef. So we eat and talking and eat and talking and the owner was noticed we are not the ordinary customer. He said, ask me, where are you from? I said, Edmonton, what are you doing? Restaurants, why are you here? This is Friday. <laughs> I say, because we don't have business, that's why we come here. He say, how do you think you're cooking? I say, it's pretty good. How do you think it's compared to my restaurant here? I say, uh, not better or not worse, the same thing. <laughs> and he's, this is a very nice lady. He say, you should go back to Edmonton and insist persistent your business and you will be doing fine. That's how I learned the ginger beef from Calgary. Oh, that's great. And I call the Sichuan beef. All right, Barbara, next question. Also, I should, I, I feel like, full disclosure, uh, Barbara is chair of the Edmonton Historical Board, which I get paid by. Thanks, Barbara. <laughs> is that why both of my questions were picked? <laughs> that's not why your questions were picked. I didn't even pick them. 
Um, okay, so my other question: In all of the discussion of green onion cakes, we've heard about two. Main, we've we've heard and tasted two main varieties, maybe possibly a third. No one has mentioned the really thin, kind of eggy crepe-like green onion cake, which comes in those wedges folded over. I'm wondering: Is that a green onion cake? Is that something else? Is that jianbing? Yeah, it's yeah. not a green onion cake. Sorry, <laughs> that's why we didn't mention it. Um, it's considered more. Um, well, we would consider it more of a crepe. A green onion cake requires a certain thickness, and the onions have to be incorporated into the bing. That's the difference. If it's just sprinkled on top, that's just a sprinkle. Jianbing <laughs> is amazing, though. In Beijing yeah. and lots of cities in China, you can get it for really cheap as like just a street breakfast food. I have I had many wonderful days can, in Beijing. You can get breakfast. it here now. Oh yeah, that place on uh, Jasper sells jumping yeah. now too. Yeah. yeah, so you can get it here now. <laughs> yeah, on Jasper. Yeah. Thank you for the question. Round of applause for Barbara. Uh, Kevin Heppel. Should I come up there? Come on up. Uh, my question, I think, is fairly functional. I'm just wondering what is, what's the best oil to use when you're pan frying? A green onion cake, possibly traditionally in northern China, and then also the Edmonton variety. Yeah, I can answer this question. Is uh, uh, <clears throat> normally is uh, our granola uh, canola, not granola, <laughs> canola oil is pretty good. Yeah, other like a, like a sesame seed. They're they're too sticky, right? Too heavy, and butter uh, and uh, what's that? Peanut oil, right? Uh, it's very heavy too. So uh, and uh, olive oil is good for the salad or the toast, right? If uh, you are stir fry, they they easy get a smoke. Thank you for your question, Kevin. Round of applause. I think we have time to get through the rest of the pile. Yeah. Um, Megan, why? Megan, you, can you please come up? Um, hello, thank you all. This has been like so exciting and enlightening. Um, and I just got Suto's number, so I'm like very happy right now. <laughs> um, but I want to know, what is your favorite green onion cake moment? Dan, do you want to? And anybody can take this one. Well, aside from that first taste that remains so evocative, <laughs> I'd say the first time I realized I could actually make them properly was very gratifying, especially as someone that no longer had access to an easy place to just buy them frozen pre-made. It was, <laughs> in a way. Honestly, this is my favorite green onion cake moment. <laughs> I just, I feel like I've just learned so much. I don't know if you saw that little illustration on the, the ad for this event, but I drew it from a green onion cake. So I made one for myself and I bought the Gingus uh, frozen ones and I also bought their like ready to make ones that you just like pop in the toaster oven. So that is based on a toaster oven one. And it was just, it was so flaky and delicious and I love the green onion cakes that are that style because they just have so many layers of oil. It's so good. <laughs> I, I don't know. This is my favorite green onion cake moment. Okay. Uh, my favorite green onion cake moment has to be connected to the, the fringe. Um, you, you always hope that you put on a show and, and, and people will like it. 
And I did a show called uh, Polaroids of Dawn uh, back in the, the sort of um, uh, early 90s. And it was one of those shows that people would line up for hours to, to get tickets to. And uh, I remember when we sort of sold out the house, uh, I celebrated with my cast. We went to the beer tent. Uh, I bought everybody around a beer. And then I went. I'm not a drinker, so while everyone else was drinking beer, I went and got a green onion cake and uh, celebrated uh, my first fringe success with a green onion cake. Thank you. Anybody else want to add a favorite green onion cake moment? Whoa, well, Linda, you got one. Well, no, I don't actually. Um, <laughs> because, I mean, like, you know, we've discussed, my relationship to it is entirely different, right? So, that would be like asking people, so what's your greatest moment with toast? <laughs> you know, so if I said to one of you, what is your greatest moment My with toast? My greatest moment with toast <laughs> was when I was five years old. <laughs> and it was the first time that I was potty trained. And I celebrated by having my first piece of toast. I stand corrected. <laughs> Michelle M., can you please come up? Oh, sorry, I forgot. Round of applause, please, for Megan. <laughs> so I guess this one is more for Sue and Linda, but in northern China, which, if any, type of sauce do you eat green onion cakes with? Chili sauce, soy sauce, sweet and sour. Here, we obviously are pretty varied, but what should we eat it with? <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> I, so I moved here and I found out about all these people and green onion cakes. So I invited some people over and I made green onion cakes from my mother's recipe. And so we made them and they were like, oh wow, it's so easy to make. And I was like, yes, it is. Um, so I was fan frying them up and I was serving them up and I was serving them the way we would eat it. So with the food that we would eat it with. And I just had them on a plate and I put them down and they all then just looked at me. And I went, what? Like, what's going on? And they're like, um, can we get some sauce with that? <laughs> I thought, okay. <laughs> now, you know, luckily I do have a fully stocked Chinese kitchen, you know, Chinese refrigerator. So I was like, what sauce would you like? So they were naming them. I'm like, okay, here's a sambalo. Like, you know, but I have them for different reasons. Again, you know, to me it's toast. <laughs> Would you dip your toast in sambal olek? That was, that was a yes. Crap, all right. Again, I stand corrected, but you know, for me, no. So, yeah, so that's, yeah. <laughs> Sue? Mm -hmm. What condiments would you use with green onion cakes in northern China? Oh, well, we have uh, dark vinegar. Like uh, uh, if you go to Chinatown, you'll find all those uh, mm, bottles of a dark vinegar, and but you you can using the the Italian the, what's that balsamic balsamic vinegar yeah. That kind of I, I will say, yeah, today's selection of sauces was totally biased by what I like to eat. <laughs> That's why there's those, those three. Uh, great, thank you for your question. Round of applause.
Okay, since day one of this podcast, my mom has been trying to sneak in a question. I noticed that a question is in here that is in purple pen and does not have a name on it. <laughs> Denise Chengyan, can you please come up? It was the purple pen, right? <laughs> uh, and this is actually very much related to the last question. So I was really curious, and I think you've answered this question for us already. What condiments do each of the panelists, and the host included, put on their green onion cakes and why? So you, you've thoroughly addressed the question already. <laughs> <laughs> but how about the rest of you? What Marty? sauce do you put on yours? I combine it with uh, uh, sambaole. And, uh, and with the dark vinegar. For the samba ole, you have to find those uh, labels says it's a fresh crushed one, okay? With, without the uh, garlic, okay? What, there's a difference? Yeah. Oh. Uh, because the garlic, uh, if you fresh crushed, you, you feel the aroma, right? But if the garlic is in the jar for a long time, so the garlic was not that, uh, not that aroma, mm. and and then becoming another side of uh, not favorite too. That's what I find. Okay. So yeah. Uh, for me, it's the the dark vinegar, and uh, and sriracha. I like the, that combination. Sriracha. Dan, I was introduced to them the, the sambal olek, and I still use that, not exclusively, but that's probably my main go-to. The first time I made them for my mother, she suggested sour cream. And I thought that sounded weird, but when I tried it, it actually yes, was yes, quite yes. good. And then I found out later, I think I saw sure. an interview with you, Suto, where you were saying that was something people had gravitated to yes. with it, yeah? Yeah, yeah sour cream is good too. I've experimented with just about any hot sauce that's ever made its way through my fridge too. Uh, some of them are great, some of them I don't bother trying again, at least with green onion cakes. Versatile. Mm -hmm. you, you've seen my fridge, but uh, yes. <laughs> I, t I tend to like the spicy sauces and uh, sometimes soy sauce, but I don't like, I actually don't like it in vinegar and I don't like the sweet sauces at all. I don't like plum sauce or anything like that. I would love to try a green onion cake with sriracha mayo. If anybody can help me make that happen, that's my next goal. Thanks, Mom. Thank you. <laughs> and that does it for uh, Let's Find Out About Green Onion Cakes. Um, thank you to all of you for being here. Can we give them a round of applause? Uh, really, it means a lot. I wanted to have something fun to go out on. Um, and uh, the podcast will keep going. Uh, I'm uh, gonna keep doing it. Uh, unfortunately, my grant runs out, so um, Omar, who's been helping me make the podcast, can you give a wave, Omar? Um, my, my grant to keep Omar ends, so, so it'll just be me. Um, so if you listen to the podcast online, um, I'm gonna announce how you can help crowdfund it if that is something that you're interested in doing. Um, I think it is something that there seems to be some demand for, and I love doing it, so uh, I'll, I'll let you know for that, uh, and you can find out about that by listening to the podcast uh, on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, wherever podcasts are found. 
Um, so, uh, thank you, Time. Uh, this podcast is produced by Omar Salafu and me, Chris Chang, and Phillips. Uh, we want your questions about Edmonton history, uh, so drop us a line at chris at letsfindoutpodcast.com. We're making one more episode together um, for April. Uh, you can find all of our episodes on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Overcast, and letsfindoutpodcast.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram under Let's Find Out Podcast. Thank you to Dan Emberg, Marty Chan, Suto, Linda Tsang, Sal Makeda, Kyla Tichkowski, and to all of you for being here. This episode would also not have been possible without the work of Finn and also Ali Koskala. Thank you. <laughs> uh, uh, and also, please, round of applause for uh, Trevor Belcher and Greg Wright at the Mercury Room for hosting us. We really appreciate it. And teching a show is often a thankless job, so thank you. Uh, thanks to the Edmonton Historical Board and the Edmonton Heritage Council for supporting this podcast. Everyone who's been supporting it is especially Finn, of course. Uh, original music for this podcast is by the extraordinarily lovely human being, Doug Hoyer. Uh, artwork for our logo is by Andrea Hergy at Mount Pioneer Design. And that's it for us today. So until next time, keep your questions coming. <laughs> <laughs>